One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth that makes it feel special makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy? or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's a new year, and the new administration is taking shape. Today we're talking about the new landscape and new and old ways of responding to it. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to 2017, everyone. We are back from our little vacay. Um, If you're new to the show and you haven't left us an iTunes review, that would be awesome. It helps other people find Pantsuit Politics. And major announcement, we got a new shipment of t-shirts in. We don't have any of the crazy moderate right now. We're just doing the plain Pantsuit Politics in gray for right now. But I've also dropped the price a little bit and the shipping. So... Head on over to PantsuitPoliticsShow.com and get a t-shirt, or you can also become a supporter of the show. So, Happy New Year. We're going to talk about the Trump administration. Maybe we could, instead of going through person by person, talk about the most controversial appointments, Sarah. So, Democrats are expected to challenge Jeff Sessions, whom we've talked about previously, Rex Tillerson, Trump's pick for Secretary of State. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, who has been tapped to lead OMB, and Betsy DeVos at Education. And then there are also conversations about opposition to Tom Price at Mm -hmm. Health and Human Services. Um, Andrew Pudser, 
this is one of the more irritating picks to me who has been tapped for labor secretary. Steve Mnuchin, Goldman Sachs guy who has been uh, nominated for treasury secretary, and Scott Pruitt at EPA. Your thoughts, Sarah? I mean, just scrolling through in our notes the the lineup, it's just qu- it's quite the sausage fest, first of all. The cabinet looks like Scrooge McDuck swimming in all their money it's like you know what it was did you ever see a final tally on the billions represented by these picks i mean it is a wealthy group of people it is one billionaire sure. after the other which i think is hilarious since this is the pick of the working white working class according to many mainstream media reports i think that this is i think i you know i i saw somebody say that trump didn't run as sort of this social hard right conservative but his picks seem to th- Uh, make it seem as if he's going to govern as one. I think it's just representative of the fact that he didn't think he was going to win. He was not prepared to appoint to the cabinet. And so it just became sort of maybe Priebus. I I mean, I don't really know who's leading the way on these hard right picks. It's really interesting. You just, this is going to be a microcosm for the Trump administration generally in that you're running up against somebody who likes who and who is good at media and narrative running up against somebody who actually has to govern. You know, like there's just these competing tasks at hand for the Trump administration and Donald Trump himself. I told somebody the other day, I think that he is not a good manager of people. And while I do not think that Donald Trump is mm, intellectual, I also don't think he's stupid. And I think that... It's not going to be as simple as, oh, he's a big dumb-dumb, and so the Republican Party, the hard right sort of party elite, is just going to come in and do whatever they want, and he'll and he'll sign it. I think that he'll be sort of hyper-aware of how it affects him and people's perception of him. My worry, my concern is he's still such in campaign mode that he is still just concerned with how sort of his, his base feels about him, and I wonder if he'll ever shift away from that. If he continues to just be concerned with his base... I am very concerned for what will happen under a Trump administration. But I wonder if he will eventually shift to more. Like all this stuff about him being the most unpopular incoming president in history has to bother him. I'm trying to look at each one of these picks and ask myself, what would I think of this choice if President Kasich had made it? So, for example, Rick Perry is not my favorite Republican, but I also admire some of what he's done as the governor of Texas and think that he's a a good person. And, you know, so I think if President Kasich had appointed Rick Perry to lead the Department of Energy, would I analyze that differently than I'm analyzing President Trump? And, And probably yes. You know, so I'm trying to challenge myself in that way. I don't have tremendous heartburn with with some of his choices and I and I have terrible heartburn with others and find some of them just completely unacceptable. So it's a really interesting mix of people. I think that it's representative of what is reported to be his business style of just a whole lot of alpha players in mm-hmm. one space and letting people fight it out. So the dynamics of this cabinet, I think, are going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, these are a lot of people used to calling all the shots in organizations and in a town that doesn't seem to work that way. No, that's a th- that's exactly what I think. I think that's what I mean by I don't his management style like well, I think it's two things. One I think is most concerning to me about all these picks is that and whether Kasich was picking them or whoever was picking them they would still concern me, which is 
I, as a general rule, don't think it's a good idea for people who want to get rid of departments to be running them, who think, like, I want to dismantle everything this, you know, part of the government does. I hate this part of the government. Like, I just, I don't think it's a good idea generally for people who hate the government to be running it. But, like, a little healthy skepticism is fine. But that's one of my big concerns. But I think that management style, I just don't know how that works in D.C. When, it, you know, it, this is not real estate. You know, I love that article we talked about a long time ago that he is such a zero-sum guy because he deals in real estate. And so it's, if I don't, if I don't win, you know, if somebody else is winning, I'm losing. Like, this very black and white binary view of the world. And that's just not how you govern. And so I'm going to be interested to see what happens with that outlook on management, which is not the same as governing also. There does need to be some change. I mean, it's not like I think anyone thinks, gosh, Washington works really well right now. The interesting thing to me is how will people who are used to doing things, achieving, 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 if the agenda here is really a conservative one, be about restraint? You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch. And and I, you know, I look at the Department of Labor as an example. And I personally believe that a lot of what the Department of Labor has done under the Obama administration does need to be walked back. And it's not because, as people who I hope who have been listening to us for a long time know, it's not because I don't care about the rights of people in the workplace it's because I think the way those rights are enforced by the Department of Labor is unhealthy and unhelpful to the very people it's trying to protect. So I don't have a problem with appointing people who believe that these departments have overreached and aren't looking to build them up further, but to restrain them some. Um, I do think that, for example, Scott Pruitt is a terrible choice for the EPA. If you have someone who who is just directly at odds with the mission of a particular department, that's different than I think the environment is worthy of our care. However, federal regulation isn't the best way to get there. Like that's a totally different framework in my estimation. It's one thing to have somebody who, you know, has worked in this area their whole lives and understands the complexities of both sides and understands the priorities of both sides and really, you know, can understand that it's really not just about getting up, th- getting in there and cleaning it up and rolling everything back so everybody can do the best they can. I just, everything, it feels like every pick is so one-sided. It's so just, I don't know. I feel like Obama tried to hush his critics a little bit when, with some of his appointments and just was like, okay, look, oh, well, that's a little bit of a surprising. And there's just none of that here. It's all burn it down, I feel like. You know the one that just confuses me the most is Sean Spicer for press secretary. Mm. And I'm so confused by it because like you said, Trump is really good at media. And I don't think Sean Spicer is. Mm. I don't think he's likable. I think that he is, he has been a really problematic spokesperson for the RNC. And I'm shocked that Trump didn't put someone who is just camera ready there, you know? (laughs) So moving on, we've had a real sense of two administrations colliding because of the United Nations resolution condemning Israeli settlements. I put out a primer um, on New Year's Day about Israel and Palestine. 
I want to say before we start talking about this too much that it was incredibly difficult for me to find sources that I viewed as unbiased, critically mm-hmm. examining the facts type sources in preparing that primer. I was shocked by how difficult it was. And my intention in the primer was to not take a side. And, and truthfully, like, I don't have a side in this conflict But I think that my experience in creating the primer was so informative as this process has been unfolding because I'm not sure that anyone is able to report on the UN resolution, on the Obama administration's reaction to it and handling of it, on the Trump administration, on Theresa May's comments about John Kerry's speech without just bringing all of their baggage about this conflict um, to their reactions. Yeah, it just seems like it, it It seems so antagonistic, unlike everything else that it feels like the Obama administration has done with regards to foreign policy. It doesn't feel like they have an end game in mind with this. It, it just feels sort of like a, I mean, not really a Hail Mary even. That's That implies more planning than I, that this feels to me, if that makes sense. The UN has taken up the subject of Israel many more times than almost any other sort of human rights situation in the world. So it's perplexing in that way that the UN is is creating this resolution that doesn't have teeth on it. Um, and I agree, like, I think John Kerry's speech, I'm sympathetic to John Kerry feeling frustrated in this situation and kind of wanting to say, look, world, I tried and here's what I see. <laughs> But I don't think that's particularly constructive for the outgoing Secretary of State. Even Vox was like, what was that? <laughs> it's it's just the kind of conversation that you would hope happens privately between administrations, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that sort of editorializing about it would be great information for John Kerry to pass on to... Rex Tillerson or whomever, but it was a weird thing to do publicly, and th- and then just it it has created this firestorm, right? Because you have Trump on Twitter telling Israel to hang on, and you have Theresa May in the UK sort of chastising John Kerry for making this statement, and then Netanyahu gets upset about about anything except for very assertive and unquestioning support. It's just, it feels like we've taken something that was already a real mess and added layers to it. Yeah. And I don't mind purpose. And I don't mind the adding of layers if there's sort of a purpose in mind. And that's what I'm struggling with. It just doesn't seem like there was a purpose to this. Whereas some of the other roadblocks they've been um, throwing up to Trump. I don't mind at all. And they do seem to have a purpose, but this, it just didn't seem to fit the mold of anything else they've been doing. Trump has said that, that his administration is going to be the one that figures this out. Oh, good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and look, let's hope that they are successful in that. There's a part of me that struggles with why America is so entrenched in this conflict. Mm -hmm. And a part of me that fully understands why we are, you know, and it's just it's not easy. And it's really difficult for me to intelligently articulate what are the American interests at stake here? How closely related to our actual beliefs about freedom and democracy are those interests? And how much are American interests being negatively impacted in the region by our particular investment 
in this conflict. I don't know. It's a lot to tease apart and we, we won't get that done today. I do wish that maybe everyone on all sides had exercised a little bit more restraint here. So that's not the only sort of Obama, I don't know, that's more of a bombshell than a roadblock, but they, the Obama administration has been um, working tirelessly with its final few days to throw up roadblocks to the Trump administration, including um, using an obscure, I think it was like 1956 law that prevents drilling off the Arctic shelf that will be very difficult for Trump to undo. Um, pardoning the most uh, passing down the most pardons on nonviolent drug offenders I think ever in one day it was like two over 200 pardons in one day and um many other steps as many as he can squeeze in it seems like right now do you find that helpful yes well I'm glad that you do I mean absolutely I don't I don't understand some of it some of it I do I mean a lot of administrations issue a lot of pardons right toward the end of the term yeah there are a number of things from President Obama that have been surprising to me in a in a negative way, though. I really wish that he had not said that he would have beaten Trump. Would have won Trump. a third time, yeah. I really wish he hadn't said that. I really wish that the administrations had coordinated and been on the same page about the response to Russia. Mm-hmm. I think but maybe they tried. Game. But we don't know the background. I mean, maybe that seems like something they probably... I, I, it doesn't strike me as something like... Obama wouldn't have tried to coordinate with him. It does strike it me doesn't? something that no, it does strike me something that Trump would have been like, whatever, I'll say what I want. It's like that whole thing they said that that when he said it was supposed to last fifteen minutes, it was less than an hour and a half, and then the Ob- people from the Obama White House were like, that meaning he was never supposed to last fifteen minutes. He just made that up, you know. I like he, I think he makes things up. Yeah. I also think the Obama administration thinks it knows better than everyone else and does what it wants to do with a lot without support and backing from all of its constituents. And that's been a consistent issue throughout the course of the administration. So I don't know what to think, but I do know that everybody should be aware that anything happening between these two administrations is going to play out very publicly. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we should all be exercising a little bit more caution given the international scope of some of what's playing out right now. Yeah. And just all the Russia stuff is so, it's just so hard to feel confident as an American when you have one, you literally have a president saying, like, it's one thing to fight over things we're all used to fighting over. We're all used to fighting over abortion and we're all used to fighting over gay rights and we're all used to fighting over taxes. Like, whatever, it's fine. But it is There is something deeply concerning and disconcerting about two administrations fighting over how we should feel about Russia. Like it just with one person with one administration handing down stiff sanctions and withdrawing ambassadors and the other one going, no, they're great. They're smart. They know what they're doing. It's just so weird. Well, especially because it's not seemingly a philosophical difference. It's Mm -hmm. a factual difference. Mm hmm. It would be different, I think, if we had a president, well, sort of like the Bush-Obama transition. You knew that there were serious philosophical differences about America's role in the world between those two presidents. Mm -hmm. This is not America as aggressor or pacifist or isolationist. It's what are the facts of what's happening in Russia and between our two countries right now? And that is really disconcerting. Yeah, I agree. Chad and I have been listening to Debriefing the President by John Nixon, which is about the CIA's 
interviews with Saddam Hussein after he was captured and before his trial. Mm. It is an excellent, excellent book. And it's a scathing indictment of all of the bureaucracy in our intelligence organizations. And as we've been listening to it, I've been thinking so much about what's happening right now with Russia and how important it is that we be certain of what's happening. Because when we have, I think, a story in search of facts that support it, we do what we did with the presumption that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Mm. And so I don't want to have in my mind a story about what Russia did in our election and be amassing facts to support that story. You know, I really do want to take it one fact at a time. I want to believe our journalism about this. I want that journalism to be based on properly vetted sources. It's, I think we're in a really tenuous moment, and I hope that we're careful about it and that we learn some of the lessons of the 90s. I am less hopeful, but also hope for that. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like we're never good at learning lessons. So, Well, speaking of the dangerous conditions in the world right now, we should acknowledge that it has been a rough start to the new year. There was a gunman opening fire in a nightclub in Istanbul. 39 people were killed, 69 more hospitalized. Uh, that affected a, a number of people who are of Turkish nationality, but also lots of foreigners who were there celebrating the holiday. Uh, Unclear if that attack was motivated by ISIS, but ISIS has now taken credit for it, and uh, we presume that it was. Uh, There was a car bombing outside of an airport in Mogadishu, a car crash in Thailand. Apparently, although Thailand's infrastructure is generally not too bad, there is this huge rush of low-income earning workers that sort of go to the countryside for the holiday and then come back to the cities um, after the holiday. And so this first week of the year is known as like the seven deadly days. Yikes. And there, there are a huge number of fatalities um, in Thailand related to automobile accidents in this period. And so one of those happened, I think it was yesterday. Baghdad has been bombed again. I mean, it's just, it's a reminder that the world is in a very fragile state right now. So on that cheery note, um, (laughs) I think we can move on to complimenting the other party, which I feel like that's an exercise that's going to be extremely important here in 2017. Do you want to start, Sarah? Yeah, I will compliment our new representative from District 1 in Kentucky, Jamie Comer. I met him at a reception in Paducah. He um, is very nice and smart and very interested in paying closer attention to um, Paducah and far western Kentucky. And I look forward to having somebody new and fresh on the job with lots of energy. And I'm really um, looking forward to seeing what he accomplishes for us. I agree. I wanted Jamie Comer to be our governor. Mm. Uh, My compliment is for Tulsi Gabbard, who has been, I think, just a very independent voice in the Democratic Party in a constructive way. I think that it was bold of her to be so vocally supportive of Bernie Sanders. And I really appreciate that she has pushed back hard against some of the criticism that there are too many generals in the new Trump administration. Look, the Trump administration is going to be criticized no matter what. And 
I think that it's hard on the one hand to say these people don't have enough experience and on the other hand to say, but too many of them have too much military experience. And Tulsi Gabbard has said that is offensive to veterans. That is not, you know, that that's just kind of nonsense. There are legitimate criticisms here. Let's focus on those instead of making up new ones. So I appreciate just the independence of thought that she seems to bring to the party. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So next up in the suit, 
we are going to talk about resistance and all the forms it takes as we look to a new administration. Sarah, you shared an article from Jezebel on our Facebook page that got a lot of attention. The title of it is Becoming Ugly, and it's about really being done with the patriarchy. I guess Mm -hmm. that's a fair summary of it. And I had a strong reaction to it, and, and I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about it. Yeah, it was written by Madeline Davies, and she's sort of, I mean, it it's a very it's just a, also just a very interesting narrative style she took and um it's hard to sum up but i will read one paragraph before we start talking about it she says for the first time i don't know how to move past my boiling anger or laugh it away also for the first time i have no desire to preferable i now think is to stop laughing to become as repulsive as i can and an insult to these men so many men who hate women and the women who adulate them Vanity keeps me from throwing away my makeup, and sanity keeps me from, as I often feel the repugnant urge, breaking the mirror with the surface of my own face and leaving us both cracked open. But I also can't deny my current impulse to become as ugly and unlikable as I can, merely to serve as constant reminder of the ugliness afflicted upon us. We've been told time and time again that prettiness and likability will protect us from harm, that to be good women we must play by these rules, but this is a lie. Nothing will protect us except for ourselves, and what's more fortifying than a defensive exterior. There are days when all I want is to become a human road sign, a blinking hazard to any man misfortunate enough to cross my path. I want to offend your sight. I want to offend your everything. It appealed to me. I do not feel as strongly as um, she does, although sometimes it's not hard to sort of tap that deep well of anger and fury I think that is a stage uh, for self-preservation reasons I skipped after Hillary Clinton's loss. But I, I totally understand that instinct. There's just, there's a lot of things in my life that are sort of small that I that I do. I had this conversation with a friend who stopped wearing makeup. And she, you know, there's just a lot of things that we do as women that I'm, it's like, I don't know, why, why, do, why do we do these? Why did I start doing them? When did I start doing them? Do I get any joy or happiness from doing these things? Do they bring any great consequences for me? Like, this is a small, stupid thing, but I just stopped getting pedicures. Why? I mean, why was I doing that? <laughs> you know, like, I don't particularly, I mean, it's, I guess, cute painted toys or toes are cute, but I can go and get my feet rubbed and not have to have another thing on my list when they start to chip. You know what I mean? Like, it's just little things like that, that I really loved how she, especially beauty things, you just, there's just so much that if you start to really think about it there's even a feminist economic theory that part of the reason women make less money is because they spend time is money and they spend a significant more amount of time larger amount of time on their looks that they could be using to make money so i don't know it uh, sort of touched me on a very deep level not when i'm not even sure i completely understand i think it hit me in a very personal way also i do not feel that every person who voted for Donald Trump hates women. So let's just clear that deck right now. (laughs) I do struggle, and I talked about this before the election, with the fact that 
while we've had many presidents who have disrespected women, it is hard for me to know that in 2016 we made the conscious decision to put someone who has said the things about women that Donald Trump has said in the White House. But we did, and that's where we are, and I'm going to try to make the best of that situation. When I think about what it means to be a woman with the knowledge that we have post-election, and I read this article, I was struck by how this is just the complete opposite of me. (laughs) I think that I have cultivated in myself this real sense of making sure that I neutralize everything and that I am a soft landing space for people. So like I've always had like a pretty enough face, but not a hot body, right? So I'm not (laughs) threatening physically. Um, I'm smart, but I'm also sweet. And I have leadership qualities, but I'm very deferential. And I think that I have on some level always sensed that having ambition would hurt me, Mm. that I would be more credible without ambition. I don't know. This just brought up for me all the ways in which I sort of have turned myself into like beige wallpaper Mm. um, in order to do enough of what I'd like to do as a woman in the world. And I'm not mad about that. I'm really not. I'm not depressed about it. I have a good life that I do feel that I've created. But I have created it with some awareness of the fact that it would be different if I were male. Mm Mm-hmm. And had the same kinds of wiring that I have. And I wonder if that is not, for me, the path to sort of travel as we look at the Trump administration and the idea of resistance. I am not, I was not down with it when Mitch McConnell said, we're going to make Barack Obama a one-term president and be an obstacle to absolutely everything. I thought that was horrible and unpatriotic. And... I think the same thing now. I think people who are in government service should try to govern and should try to do their best. And I think that there are going to be moments when absolute resistance is required, but I don't think that's every moment. So maybe this sort of critical examination and some more honesty and and for me personally, kind of giving up the need to make everyone comfortable all the time is the best way that I can contribute. There are people who I think need to contribute in the way that Madeline Davies is talking about and people who need to be much more vocal. On a personal level, I think that that my sense is there are going to be some things that require total discomfort, and I need to get right with that. Well, I think that I am the opposite of – this is why we make such a great team. I come from a completely different space. I – from birth, I was born with red hair. I had glasses through most of my um, schooling. I literally cannot blend in. It is something, you know, I always tell people, like, I can't be the, if I miss class, people know I'm not there. Like, I just, I stood out. I stood out from birth. And so there's, you know, there's an Enneagram that's the need to be against, the need to push against things and make people uncomfortable and confront. And um, that's me. That's what I like to do. I like, you know, I was talking to my husband. I hate small talk. I hate it. It's not that I don't mind. I like meeting new people and I don't mind getting to know people. But like with people I already know, I really don't want to talk about bullshit. Like let's just, let's, you know, let's dive right in. And so 
that part of it, like, I really, the part of it that got to me is where she says, we've been told time and time again that prettiness and likability will protect us from harm, that to be a good woman, we must play by the rules, but this is a lie. And that's the part that just, you know, if I really want to tap a deep well of fury, that's what gets me, is, you know, you're telling me to obey rules that I did not make. And don't even protect me or serve me in any way, shape, or form. But I'm in this interesting place now that I think there is, it's very easy for me to be sort of activist and burn it all to the ground. But I I find that I am more useful when I don't dive right into my activist killer instincts. Like I just, I think that that is not the role I was meant to play. I don't think it's the most um, productive place for me and I want to leave things better than I found them so you know I'm in this weird space that I can't I can't become ugly you know (laughs) I'm an elected official like that's just it's not on the table for me and I think but I think that what I found is being able to channel that in a productive way and channel that into actually getting things done is what works for me and pulling out pulling that out when I need it now I'm just starting I'm not even haven't had my first commission meeting but you know, I think that I, I channeled a lot of that and my need to say, why does it work this way? I don't want to do it this way and get by with that in the campaign. And I, you know, I ran my campaign a lot differently than my opponents. And so it served me well. But, you know, I, that part of the just the need to be against and the need to. And as far as with the, you know, with Trump, it's just so like I agree. I agree that Mitch McConnell said those things. And it was offensive. But then how do I look at my fellow Democrats and say, but we can't do that? You know, like it's just, it was, it's offensive enough to do it first, but it's like, how do you look at people who got treated like that for eight years and say, who got treated by that with people who were then rewarded for acting that way with total control of our government and say, don't use that strategy. It's just, it's a hard one. Yeah, it's a hard one. And and like, I'm not, I, I want to be clear. I'm not telling anybody else what to do. I think that we are so far past the time when when we should all wag, it or wag our fingers at each other. I'm not interested in doing that at all. What I am saying is that for me, taking the Mitch McConnell strategy ever again, regardless of party, is unacceptable to me. Mm. Because... I don't want to keep doing the same things. This is how I feel about what we were just talking about with Israel and Palestine. We have thought that we had the silver bullet solution to this for four decades now. We've been talking for four decades about the same two-state solution idea that has gone absolutely nowhere. It reminds me of the documentary that I shared about on poverty. We've, we've been fighting poverty the same way for four decades. At what point do we realize this is not working? This is not solving the problem. Well, and I guess if you could say anything about the election of Donald Trump, the message is not keep doing things the same way. Although, again, is it because three million people voted for her? So, you know what I mean? Like, that's just what's so hard about this. Like, you can't even, it's almost like, I don't really wish he had a mandate. But, like, I'm not going to stand here and say, I'm not standing, I'm sitting. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is what the American people wanted. Because it's not. It's just not. 80,000 people in three states made this decision for the rest of us over the wishes of 3 million additional Americans. And so I don't know why resistance isn't the order of the day. I should also say that I'm not even sure what we're going to be resisting at this point. I read a really great thing. Box did. I actually had read 
a pretty extensive um, biography of Mitch McConnell and had not realized what sort of a center Republican, sort of liberal-ish Republican he started out being. And then it just became about winning. And they were talking about like his, his little, his archives in the University of Louisville, which is sort of like a little Louisville, which is sort of like a homage to him. It's just about the races he's won. Like, what are you going to do now, Mitch? Like, what, what do you actually stand for now that you've accomplished and you've won and every, you're in charge and you're so powerful, like, and you don't have anybody to oppose? What are you actually going to do? Like, I don't even know what I'm resisting at this point. Well, I think that's an important question. And that's what I'm against, resisting for the sake of resisting. Because that's what Mitch McConnell did, right? When Barack Obama won, it wasn't, well, let's wait and see what he actually mm-hmm. goes for. It was just, we're going to shut this down. Now, I fully appreciate the differences between Barack Obama and Donald Trump. As people, in terms of the circumstances surrounding their elections, like there are enormous differences. But if Donald Trump gets sworn into office, recognizes the magnitude of the tasks ahead, allows some of the people around him to do the work of governing, gets bored with some of the rest of it, does some things Democrats would like, like pass an infrastructure bill, wouldn't that be a good result? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think infrastructure is definitely somebody can... what something that we can all get behind. But I just wonder... What I really wonder about him is I was just thinking... Yeah, but Mitch McConnell has to get his people in line. And then even if we can consent, convince some Democrats this infrastructure is a good thing, not everybody's going to feel like that. Some people are going to want to resist at all spots. And I just thought, like, that's the difficulty, right? These He's not running, what, going back to what we were talking about in the pearls, Donald Trump isn't running a company anymore. And that's why right. I don't really enjoy the CEO analogy to people, to governing because elected officials are not your employees. Um, and you can't just threaten or fire or outbid or lie or defraud all these things, all these people, because you don't have control over them. And I don't know if he understands that or appreciates that or will care um, or will just try to threaten and cajole in other ways. And that's what I think has, has yet to be seen, because I don't think he does a great job of controlling his own staff who are his employees. And so I'm not really sure what's going to happen when he has members of Congress to deal with. Yeah, it's a totally different set of objectives. It's a it's a completely different scenario. And, it and is I'm just one. not sure he's in charge. He's capable of switching gears like that. Well, and that's OK if he isn't, because we wouldn't want him to be in charge the way that a CEO is in charge. That's not mm-hmm. what our government's supposed to be. I think that there is a real risk. If he were as good at that as he says he is, then we've got an authoritarian scenario that's very scary. Yeah. So him being ineffective is not the worst thing. Yeah, that's sort of fun. That's I, that's sort of the best case scenario I've settled on. Is I just think he'll be ineffective. And so hopefully he'll surround himself with some people who outperform the expectations we've set for them, and things roll along and we're okay. And I guess I just want to be open to that possibility. I don't want to expect it. I don't want to excuse any of the unacceptable things that have been said or done leading up to this point. For me, the idea of resistance works as long as it's sort of let's choose our battles. Because if we're not choosing our battles, if it's just here's what the Republicans did and now we're going to do it too. And then, you know, eight years from now, we're going to take over everything. The Republicans can do this again. And it just goes back and forth. That cycle is why we all hate all of this. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I just want to get I want to break free of that. And as a Democrat, my concern with the resistance, well, first of all, I don't think we have to agree. You know, some people are going to just blinding, hateful fury for the next four years. Godspeed. But I, you know, to make a case, you can't. I think this is this happened to us in the campaign. You just run out of room runway, right? You just if it's always, well, this is the worst. Well, this is the worst. Well, this is the worst. You know, then how do you ever? How are you ever have any like room to stand on, or legs to stand on? I'm missing. I'm mixing all kinds of metaphors at this point. When it really, you really do need the resistance, right? You know, then what do you right. do if you've used it all up on shit that in the end didn't matter? But and I firmly believe that we all need each other. We need the people who resist for the sake of resisting. And we need the people who are fully on board and doing their best to make this work. And we need all of the in-between. So again, I'm not criticizing where anybody else comes down on this. I'm really trying to piece together in my own mind, what is the principled, moral, ethical way for Beth Silver's Ford. You know, not that that matters mm-hmm. to anybody but me, but that's kind of what we do here, right? That's the nice thing about our space is we can talk about this in personal terms. And that's kind of what I was thinking through with with the Becoming Ugly article circling back around to that. I really believe that we all need each other in terms of men and women, but I do think those dynamics need something to help break them even further than they've been broken. And what does that look like? You know, what's my contribution to that? And I think if we all can hone in on our personal contributions to that, that would be a worthy outcome of this election. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's just hard. It's so hard to find space. You know, I think a lot about, I was, I finished, finally finished um, Ron Chernoff's Alexander Hamilton biography and really just the different approaches that him and Jefferson took. And it's sort of why I started reading some about Mitch McConnell, because I think Mitch McConnell was a, um, although not in, in, well, maybe more in government, a Jeffersonian in that it was, it's all about, say it enough about the other person, doesn't matter if it's true. And you know, I just, I think a lot about that. And um, I think a lot about how do you ethically resist even better defeat or succeed in a space with people like that without losing your own soul? You know, how do you, you know, ethically and morally, because I don't want to stand up for what's right. You know, I don't want to ride my high horse off a mountain. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the pragmatics of government and the reality of politics. And I think it's great to all sit around and hope that we all come to our better natures. But in the meantime, we have to deal with the Mitch McConnells of the world who want nothing else but to win. That's all that man wants. And so what do you do about that? And, you know, if you're or if Donald Trump, I don't think that's all Donald Trump wants to do. He just wants to win and be adored and make America great again, and blah, blah, blah. Like, what do you do? And and I think that's sort of the fury. That also gets back to the feminist argument. Like, you know, when you're being told to be pretty and likable up against people who not only don't have to play by those rules, but have more power over you, it's just so, it's, it's such a difficult space to be in. And I think that's sort of where she's coming from is, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to try to walk this tightrope anymore. I'm done. I'm not going to do, I'm opting out of this tightrope of how do I be, um, how do I be a moral ethical person in a space where I'm competing against people who break all the rules, who lie like Donald Trump does. Well, and can we get real about the fact that we never would have elected a woman who talked about Mm -hmm. wanting crowds to cheer for her? I mean, come on. Hillary Clinton rolls out on that stage with five children from three different men bitch please (laughs) yeah and and so i can get honest about that without getting too angry about it that path isn't for everyone Mm. 
that's my path, you know. And and as you as you were talking, I kept thinking like, I feel like part of the reason that I have sort of turned myself into beige wallpaper is that people put beige wallpaper in their house. Like it's effective. Mm. It's slow. It's a long game, but it's effective. You can make very incremental progress and so I think what we're coming around to is like the challenge for you is to be more about that incremental progress and the challenge for me is to push a little bit harder Mm, I like it that's the lesson of the Trump election here on 18 days before his inauguration (laughs) (laughs) so we'll talk about our New Year's resolutions next that's a good segue right absolutely I love your tradition, Sarah, of choosing one word for the following year and have adopted it with uh, with real zeal in my own life. Well, the first, I did this, I guess, five years ago. My first word was simplify, and that was a really good one. And I just, I think that might have been the year I gave up pedicures. I was like, why am I doing this? Not doing it anymore. Like, very sort of cutthroat if you're not if you're not working for me. It's also when I stopped watching reality television shows, not surprisingly. Then I did growth. That was also a very good year. I did, I tried doing a Sanskrit word the next year and that didn't work so well because I couldn't pronounce it. And it was supposed to be about um, sort of awareness or like present mindedness. Still struggling with that one. Last year was prosperity. And then my year, my word for this year, I need a drum roll is humility, which I should never have told my husband because now every time I'm like crack a joke or somebody calls me commissioner, he says, remember your word for 2017 is humility. So I should have <laughs> kept that one to myself. But I, it was more about, I think if I learned one lesson in 2016, particularly from the presidential election, is that we are broken people living in a broken world. And I think I had tried to convince myself through eight years of the Obama White House and also having kids because you got to tell yourself a little bit of these lies to have kids is that, you know, we are the human race is progressing and everything's getting better and we're just on this march towards progress. But I just think I needed to learn and remind and remember that there's a lot of brokenness and the path forward is sometimes a zigzag, including in my own personal life. And um, just to take a big dose of um, work pushing against my own character flaws instead of just like a growth mindset is great but I think that part of my my development as a person and hoping to grow more of this in 2017 is acknowledging that it's not only about getting better getting better and getting better but it's also about being very honest with myself about my own weaknesses and flaws and so that's what I hope to do more of in 2017. Also, y'all send us fan mail all the time. I got to keep that in check or my head would be so big. <laughs> so I I struggled. I went through a host of words for this year. My word for 2016 was grace, which was really helpful to me in a lot of different contexts. I wanted a word for 2017 that worked for me in terms of what we do on the podcast, but also in the rest of my life. And so I settled on curiosity. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's strong. Thank you for validating my choice because I went through my so, exper- many, so many. It's so hard. In my experience, it's either you get it, like humility, that's it. That's my word. I got it. Like I didn't even hesitate. 
But either you like hit it and you know it immediately or you struggle through and you like last year it took me a while and I settled on prosperity. I'm not really sure that was the best word. I struggled with it. So that's that's but that's a good one. It's not as I think my problem with prosperity, it was just too sort of like outcome driven in a way. It needs to just be a more of a mindset. That's why curiosity is good. Well, you're right. As soon as curiosity popped into my head, I thought, okay, I'm done. That's the word. Because I feel like I'm a better mom when I'm just curious about my girls instead of so directive. Mm-hmm. And I'm a better wife when I'm being curious about my husband instead of saddling him with all these expectations. I think I'm better at work when I'm curious about the people around me and sort of who am I becoming here and what can I learn from all of this. And I do need to, you know, back up off the goal orientation often. Mm. So um, I think that's a good direction for me for 2017 and it works politically too right because these are interesting times and I think being curious about them will be helpful and I'm I'm way into learning more about foreign policy this year I'm probably going to primer everybody to death as I study up on things because I I really want to better understand the world from an accurate lens not just a storytelling lens Mm -hmm. well and I should in the spirit of humility be forthcoming and say I don't just have a word I also have a list of like 26 resolutions because ah, I freaking love the new year but what I am trying to do this year is do I did a little bit of this last year but really focus on like month per month what I'm focusing on instead of just sweeping once for the year so setting up good habits like for so I'm trying to get back on the exercise bandwagon and in January so sort of my own personal health is my focus for January and then in February I'm going to focus on um, my family and building in some good habits for that. So I, I, it's not just a word. I also really enjoy resolutions. I like resolutions too. I have a bunch of things in mind. I haven't written them down yet. I feel like my brain has still been in holiday mode. Yeah. <laughs> probably tomorrow or the next day I'll sit down and write things out. I really want to write a book this year. I also really want to concentrate on my personal health, and I need to find a way to make those two things an and instead of an or. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I guess one of my resolutions is to have more ands, fewer ors, because I think I've, I've done a lot of ors over the past year. So we talked about coming up with a word for the podcast for 2017. So maybe we should put out a call first. Let's put out a call to all our listeners, all you fabulous people out there. And say and ask what you think pantsuit politics word should be for 2017. Do you have any sort of ideas to throw out there, Beth? Well, I'm really interested to hear what people say because I think that unquestionably our word for 2016 was nuance. And we've talked about, like, is that still right? You know, Mm -hmm. is that still what we are trying to do here? And I think that, I think it is, but I wonder if there is a different focal point for the next year. This might be a good time to share that we're going to transition to season three and make a few tweaks to what we're doing um, right after the inauguration. That feels like a natural political breaking point to us. So it'll be really helpful to kind of frame up a word for the year with our community's help um, going into that season three. So as we um, wrap up our first show of 2017, send us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, email, however you want to. You can comment on the post for this episode and share what you think Pantsy Politics word for 2017 should be. Share us your own personal words too. If you have do a word for the year, we'd love to hear them. 
And otherwise, you can follow us on all the social media platforms or check out, like I said, we have new t-shirts on the website. And and until Friday, keep it nuanced, y'all.